What's going on? And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to another brand new episode of This Week in Sports. I'm your host, as always. It's the Pody. I am back. Did not do an episode last week. Did I? I'm so jumbled and all over the place. I want to say I didn't do an episode last week. And then I did one before that, and then I went two weeks without one. It's a crazy time in my life right now. I'm coaching softball every day. We're playing Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. Playoffs are rearing up. We've got more games tomorrow at 12 and 2, a doubleheader in PA. So I've got to wake up bright and early. I have got the NFL draft on in the background. We're going to get into the NFL draft. I promise you we will talk NFL draft but we will be talking about some other stuff that uh, I'll be getting out of the way. Um, so, And then I apologize if there's any background noise because I don't know what my mother and sister are doing in the background. Just give me one second to pull up some stuff here. Um, okay, we are going to uh, jump in. Like I said, I will keep the NFL draft stuff to the middle and end, and I won't spend too much time on the other sports, but come on. Um, I am a plethora of knowledge, um, and, we, you know, it wouldn't be called this week in sports if I only focused on one draft. Now, granted, if I had, an, if this was a real uh, show in which we had multiple hosts and, and whatnot, and I, I we took it actually like seriously, what I would do is would have had a regular episode earlier in the week to cover the other sports maybe, then do something of a dra- NFL draft special for these important moments in, in sports such as such as this. It is taking place in Cleveland this year. It is not virtual, so that's nice. Get to boo Roger Goodell in person. All right, let me pull um, something up so we can... Get this thing started. Okay. Let's get right in and start with our weekend headlines. The Padres rallied to stun the Dodgers. Fernando Tatis Jr. has been on an absolute tear. Uh, He came back off. I don't think he was put on the IL officially. Oh, as Drew Pearson walks up to the stage to announce the pick. Drew Pearson is a... uh, South River kid, um, not too far from where I live, um, and that's cool seeing seeing him on the stage right now to announce the Cowboys pick. Um, so anyway, yeah, Fernando Tatis, I called it when he did get hurt, hurt his shoulder swinging the bat a few weeks ago, I called it the curse of MLB The Show. That's also the other thing, guys. I have MLB The Show now, it finally came to Xbox, and I am playing that game every single day, just about. And I never play on work days because, and, and besides, w- with softball, it's extremely difficult. But my two other friends have it. It's been a blast. And I started my online record 13 and 0. I got a little greedy. I said I was going to break the A's uh, winning streak, which also ended at 13. And lo and behold, I lost my first game at 13 and 0. And then I lost my second game. I'm I'm now like 14 or 15 and two. But for somebody who never played MLB the show, I mean, I played it, 
back on PSP days and when I had a PS2, but that's years and years ago. Um, not too shabby. I know the game, so it makes pitching a little bit easier, and I'm coming around on the hitting, so it's been a blast. But I called it the MLB The Show curse, um, just like the Madden curse, cover athlete getting hurt. Well, since he's come back, been on an absolute tear, and he destroyed the Dodgers in a couple series. Um, Let's see. On Saturday, he hit a home run off Trevor Bauer in the first inning, and on Sunday, he hit another one and scored the winning run as the Padres overcame a six-run deficit to win the uh, the series finale 8-7 in 11 innings. He came around on the Eric Hosmer sack fly. But uh, take a listen to, yeah, here's the um, Hosmer sack fly. Um, Actually, hold on. I have the Tatis home run here first, actually. I don't think I originally grabbed this clip, but I can't remember if this is the one off Bauer or on the the other game. But if you saw this, you know what I'm talking about. He's rounding first base, and he covered his eye, his one eye, as he turned back towards his dugout. And that was a celebration aimed right at Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer came out afterwards, and he had good things to say. He said, listen, if you hit a home run off me, you know, you deserve to celebrate. And pitchers that get upset, well, you need to make a better pitch and then they won't hit a home run. So here's here's a listen to um, the home run. 25 cameras at Dodger Stadium. If you think you're going to get away with looking at signs, no did he get another one? Did he get another one? Yes, he did! Oh, man, this dude is unbelievable. Uh, no peaky that time. I mean, you want to talk about a primetime player, you cannot take your eyes off him. Yeah, so that was the Tatis home run. And like I said, um, absolute tear. You could hear Matt Vaskersian right there on the uh, Baseball Tonight crew just going absolutely berserk because of the home run because he was just on an absolute tear, and it seemed like he kept doing it against the Dodgers. Um, Let me get you the... Um, here's the uh, him coming around to score the winning run after the uh, unbelievable comeback on Sunday night. It's on deck behind Hosmer. They come after him, and Hosmer swings and sends a drive to center field. Peters is back on it, measuring it off. Tatis will score easily, and it's 8-7 San Diego. Yeah, so that was the winning run there. And then... Um, Earlier in the game, when they were down all those runs and they started to mount a comeback, it was uh, 7-1 to one entering the seventh inning of this game. Over the last 50 seasons, teams trailing by six-plus runs entering the seventh inning have gone 113,547. So 100 wins and 13,547 losses for a winning percentage of .007 ridiculous and teams this season were 0 and 49 when trailing by six plus entering the seventh inning but it was Manny Machado in the ninth inning that tied it up take a listen to this base hit up the middle half of the ninth here's Machado tying run 90 feet away with one gone and Manny sends a base hit back up the middle Tatis scores this game is tied 
defeated seven. Santa Maria. Wow. I it better myself. This is incredible. I cannot believe we're yeah, you. I mean, Matt Vets. Excuse me, Matt Vescursion is a pretty good announcer. He does a terrific job, and you could hear the excitement in his voice. Just super enjoyable game, super exciting game. Just to to come back from that deficit in the seventh inning and and the eighth inning and ninth inning, and even you know winning it in the eleventh. Just incredible comeback. Um, but. Yeah, um, the Dodgers, they started off as the hottest team in baseball, reigning world champs. They've, you know, the, the, they've got a, um, a bounty on their heads, essentially, if you will, um, because teams want to beat them and want to prove that they're better than them. Um, and it was Mark Melanson to close out this game. I'm so upset because I almost drafted Melanson in my fantasy league, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be the closer or not, and he's been closing uh, – things down slamming the door um for the Padres and they took the series lead 3-1 with three of the four games decided by one run which is kind of crazy and quick note Tatis um this was of course over the weekend so these stats could be old um are old uh seven home runs on the season six coming against the Dodgers as of this point um the weekend just incredible Okay, next up, Madison Bumgarner. He made uh, some headlines or waves, if you will. The D-backs pitcher tossed a complete game without giving up a hit in a 7-0 win against the Braves. Um, So take a listen to this one. Uh, This was a hell of a performance. Marcelo Zuna, 0 for 2. Right field. Rojas is there. Madison Bumgarner. A complete game shutout, no hits for the Braves in seven, and the Diamondbacks sweep the doubleheader, they win game. So, yeah, um, you might be asking yourselves, well, no hits in seven, I mean, excuse me, no hits in a complete game, well, isn't that a no-hitter? And the answer would be no, that is not a no-hitter, and I'll tell you why, um, because the uh, game was seven innings. It was a doubleheader. They started this last year. Doubleheaders are seven innings long now. So by rule, you do not get credit for a no-hitter if it is only seven innings. It's a stupid rule because there's nothing more that Madison Bumgarner could have done. He he pitched the requisite amount of innings to finish the game, did not allow a hit, and they won the game 7 nothing. Um So in my book, that is a no-hitter. David Cohn agreed that was a no-hitter. A lot of experts agreed that should be a no-hitter, and the rule is stupid. So hats off to Madison Bumgarner. Um, I'm sure in his mind that was a no-hitter as well. And keeping on this topic, it was D-backs, and he no-hit the Braves. Um, The Braves set a record that you never in your life want to set. One hit across two games. Okay, do you know how futile that is? Um, Just unbelievable. And you get one hit in the first game, and it's like, okay, you know, we could do better than that. We're not, you know, we can't do any worse, guys. It's like that's how you, you know, prep your team and prepare for this game. It's like, all right, guys, let's huddle up. Listen, 
Game one, forget it. We only got one hit. Let's move on. It's the second game. Like we play doubleheaders in softball. When we lose the first one, it's you got to move on. You got to clear. You got 20 minutes, and then the next game starts. And that was not the case. It's like, okay, guys, the Braves go, uh, we got one hit, guys. Let's, you know, come on. We know that's not going to happen again. No, it got worse. They went from one hit in the first game and then came back in the second game and got no hit by Madison Bumgarner, who, let's face it, this is not Madison Bumgarner of old that was, you know, dominating World Series and playoffs and and winning championships. No, this is Madison Bumgarner, who almost ended his life in a motorcycle accident um, and then came back and reinvented himself and still threw a no-hitter against the Braves. Just incredible. The uh, previous fewest... um, Hits in a doubleheader was two by the uh, Cleveland Indians against the Red Sox on April 12th, 1992. So, in fact, that was one month before I was even born. Yikes. Okay, LSU, in a shocking turn of events, they hired Baylor's Kim Mulkey as their women's basketball coach. She is 58 years old, has been with Baylor since her hire in all the way back in April of 2000 compiling a 632-104 and 104 record. Her 859 career winning percentage is third in D1 history, women's Division I history, behind, of course, Gino Oriema and Leon Barmore. To go with, she also won three national titles and a dozen Big 12 regular season titles. She helped lead the Bears to two, uh, excuse me, to 20-plus wins in all 21 seasons at the helm, including 10 in which they won 30 games. That almost looks like a typo. That is such a ridiculous stat. Uh, this this is pretty surprising, but in the grand scheme of things, um, coaches are a bit crazy, and they always want to do more and prove themselves and whatnot. And much like you know Tom Brady wanting to prove that he's not a product of just Bill Belichick, so he left to go to Tampa. I think she's wanting to do the same and sort of like I compare this to LeBron James. He goes home to Cleveland or back to Cleveland because he knows he needs to win that one championship for his city. And that's, I think, how Kim Mulkey feels. She um, grew, she, you know, she grew up in that's her home state in Louisiana. She played at Louisiana Tech. And I think she wants to come home and supplant herself as one of the greatest ever by winning a championship uh, there, at, you know, at LSU. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit shocking, but when you, you know, peel back the layers, you kind of understand, I think, where she's coming from. The Brooklyn Nets, or as I like to say, my Brooklyn Nets, they welcomed back Kevin Durant on Sunday after he missed the previous three games due to a thigh contusion between Kyrie and KD. That was all the Nets needed to beat the Suns. A very good Suns team, I might admit. Um, the second number two team in the West, they combined Kyrie and KD did for 67 points against a top five defense. Durant came off the bench on a minutes restriction. However, uh, that's what they've been doing a lot with him lately. After going his whole career without coming off the bench, he's come off the bench quite a few, um, under Steve Nash. Uh, he still managed to score 33 points in, in just 28 minutes on 12 for 21 shooting. He's been so consistent and so good on on the these uh you know minute restrictions it's been unbelievable um Steve Nash ha- had good words to say ab- about KD afterwards Hey Steve I got two for you just 
first game with Kevin and, and Kyrie together in a while, and you had 67 from them. So what can you say about their performance tonight? Yeah, pretty uh, typical of those two. Um, you know, efficient, uh, explosive scores. And, you know, can uh, – I thought they did a good job playing off each other and, and keeping the thing moving and us playing as a team. And, and I thought there was a pretty good flow out there for the most part. Um, hats off to Kevin Durant as well, because on Sunday night, Durant also won an Oscar for his work as executive producer of the Netflix short film, Two Distant Strangers. It is about a black man trying to get home to his dog he becomes stuck in a time loop that forces him to relive a deadly run-in with a uh, white police officer. So um, I haven't watched the short yet. I know I said I was going to watch it, and then stuff came about. Maybe I'll watch it this weekend. It's only like thirty minutes, but you know I don't even you know I don't care about um, the fact that it's you know only 30 minutes or whatever it's a really cool thing he becomes now uh actually mike conley utah jazz guard also an executive producer on this project they become the second and third player nba players ever to win an oscar of course kobe bryant won an oscar a few years back for his work um for his creation dear basketball the animated short film um so this is really cool so yeah i do plan on um, catching that or watching it. It is on Netflix, and it's called Two Distant Strangers. Um, I, I briefly spoke about it before. The Oakland A's win streak was snapped at 13. They start the season off just 1-7 and seven before outscoring opponents 83-36 to 36 and leading the league in runs, runs per game, and home runs over the winning streak. It was the longest such streak since the Indians won 22 games in a row in 2017. Remember that when the Indians won 22 straight and then they ended up getting bounced by the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs? Yes, the O's, um, they name, uh, excuse me, it was all John Means. I mean, he shut the door down on, on the A's ending this winning streak. He gets the best of them and it was an eight to one victory, but still very impressive nonetheless. The A's have MLB's eighth lowest payroll. I went and did the math. So, you know, let's see if that whole Moneyball strategy finally pays off. They've been doing it for for ever now, it seems like, well over a decade. Um, On Saturday, let's back this up just a second. On Saturday, we had one of the most impressive fight cards I've ever seen in UFC history, UFC 261. I'm not a huge, huge fan. MMA guy, I don't watch it like every weekend, but the big main event fights I will tune in for. And it was Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal. Oh my goodness, was this fight card great. Not so much for the fact that Kamaru Usman uh, fight versus Masvidal, but my goodness, the talk of the town was Chris Weidman. If you don't know what happened on Saturday night with Chris Weidman, Please, I urge you not to go look it up on the internet because it is cringe-worthy. It is cringy. Um, so not 15 seconds into the fight, I went back and watched it. It literally was um, less than 15 seconds into the fight. And he, he Chris Weidman versus Uriah Hall. Chris Weidman snaps his, he just snapped his leg into jello um, on the first kick of the match. It was as bad as you can imagine, okay? 
He didn't know his leg was snapped and totally bent in the wrong direction until he went to try to put his leg down on the ground and plant his weight on the ground. And that's when you see the leg just fold under him a different way. And then he just falls to the ground immediately. It was that like I'm getting anxiety just thinking about it and reliving it in my head as I tell the story to to you to you all right now. It was horrible. I went to work and then stupid me urged my friend to look it up and watch it and then he's watching it and he's freaking out and then everybody's watching it and it's just oh my god you 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 know you you just feel for the guy. It's such a freak thing um and you know it happens. He was transported to a local Jacksonville area hospital. His wife posted a picture of him recovering after a successful surgery on Sunday. But back to the Usman Masvidal fight, it was electric. Um, Masvidal hung on there. It was back and forth in the first round and then started the second round. It's getting a little, you know, chippy. They're going at each other. And then Masvidal goads him basically. And he does almost one of those like Conor McGregor things where he just puts his hands down instead of protecting himself and is like, you know, making a mockery of uh, Usman. And then out of nowhere, boom, lets his guard down, right? He doesn't have his hands protecting his face. Usman gave him that power. Boom, that button shot right to the chin. Boom, Masvidal knocked down to the ground. Didn't know what hit him. uh, Usman jumps on him. It's like bang, bang with the fist and fight over Kamaro Usman with the knockout in the main event. Not a few seconds into the second round. It was every bit as uh, exciting as you can imagine. Okay, it was awesome, and Masvidal, uh, he admitted afterwards he wasn't ready for that power. He showed him something that he didn't in their previous fight. So, yeah, it was a great uh, fight night. Uh, Thug Rose, she knocked out that girl from China. I mean, just fights galore, just amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, let's talk Shohei Otani. Jump back to baseball real quick. He earned his first win as a pitcher since 2018. Let's see. Oh, we're 25, uh, 22 minutes in here. All right, we got to pick this up because we are a little behind. Okay. Um, yeah, Otani earned his first win Monday night since May of 2018. It was a 9-4 win over the Rangers. He went five innings, striking out nine. It's his best strikeout total since his last win, and he did walk two. Threw 75 pitches and um, gave up four runs all in the first inning, though. He also helped himself out at the plate, collecting two hits and a walk, scoring three times and batting in David Fletcher and Jose Iglesias on a two-run double. Um, Give me a sec. Somebody's, my buddy's texting me. All right. um, Back to the show. The Suns ended the Knicks winning streak behind Devin Booker and CP3. Oh, if you follow me on Twitter, let me tell you, this was a great pick by yours truly. I woke up, I saw the Suns coming off the game where they lost on Sunday to the Nets, coming right back to face the Knicks. And I live in the New Jersey area. 
um, not the New Jersey area. I live in New Jersey, so the New York metro area, and it's New York sports talk radio all day. All they could talk about is the Knicks' uh, nine-game winning streak. All the Knicks have nine nine-game winning streak, um, and they're playing the Suns, and this would be a great statement win, and yada yada yada. Suns are minus two coming into this game, right? Maybe okay. The back-to-back is what's getting them. I. Told my brother, um, he's always asking me for f- sports picks, right? I tell my brother, take the Suns minus two. It's a lock. I'm going to put about 100 bucks on it, right? At like minus 112, whatever. Stupid me starts looking into what's going on that day, and I'm like, you know what? Yankees are playing the Orioles. They dominate the Orioles. Matt Harvey's pitching for the Orioles. Didn't realize he's still in the league right now, right? I'm like, I'm taking, I'm going to parlay the Yankees and the Suns. And if you know me, if you listen to the show, you know I'm not a parlay guy. Only if maybe there's an uh, there's a boost or something. I'm not a parlay guy. And I got greedy, and I put a hundo on the Suns minus two and the Yankees money line, which was only about minus 167. We later found out why the Yankees weren't favored by even more, um, and it's because they stink, and they lost that game. But my brother throws the 100 on the Suns. I told some other friends. They jumped on it. And the whole the, the game starts five for five, the Knicks start, and they go up big, and they're up big for a little bit. Um, and people are getting nervous. I'm starting to get frustrated because the Knicks are just playing out of their minds and hitting crazy shots. And I know basketball is a game of runs, and it's a long, grueling, you know, it's grueling. You know, uh, it, it's a grueling game. And... Halftime comes around, and finally the Suns go on a run, and they catch up. They're within like 10 or, you know, 5 or 10 or whatever it is. And then the third quarter starts, and my brother's been texting me throughout, and he's all upset, and he's saying, you know, uh, I'm going to pull out. This is looking horrible. They're going to lose. I'm going to pull out, and I'm going to just take a little bit of a loss because I'm not going down uh, 100 bucks on a Monday. And I laugh at him because I – Look at things with diamond hands, you know, with the stocks and everything. And it's like, I will never sell. I will let my money go to zero before I sell because I'm just that stubborn. And it's same with the bet. I'm not pulling out of a bet regardless because I still keep hope. If it's the ninth inning, you're down 10 runs, you know, that hope is still alive, right? Call me crazy, whatever. Um, But um, so anyway, they mount the comeback. Fourth quarter, they take the lead. It gets a little hairy with a few minutes left, and then the Suns just go on a run, and they end up winning by 15. And I'm kicking myself for parlaying it, of course, but I text my brother, and lo and behold, that jack wagon pulled out when he was uh, for a profit of $35. So he didn't lose the 100 but he only made $35. If he would have stuck it out, he would have made about $95. So uh, I was I was arguing with him back and forth for like 10 minutes telling him, you're a scrub, you're a noob, like how could you pull out of that bet? You ask me for betting advice all the time on sports and I know what I'm talking about and then you have the audacity to pull out and, you know, so it was lighthearted, but I was not too happy that he pulled out of the bet because I told him, this was a lock, I got you, and he didn't think I had him, so... Next time, maybe I won't give him such a good bet. But yeah, that was my lock of the day. So if you tailed that, congrats. You won some good money. All right, back to the Yankees-Orioles. This was an interesting scene um, in this game in which I lost money. Um, But 
Matt Harvey looked as good as he's looked in a few years. Like that was Dark Knight esque Matt Harvey. Just three hits and one run, struck out five. Um, but the Yanks are an absolute dumpster fire right now. They put they put Stanton batting second now instead of Judge. Then they had Rudnan Odor uh, batting cleanup. Just an absolute joke of a franchise. And then it gets even better in the seventh inning. Tanner Scott, who could not find the strike zone, walks three batters, and then Stanton comes to the plate, takes an 0-1 slider, I think it was, and he swings and pops it up on a 1-0 count to left field. I tell uh, my girls in softball at the college, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old girls, that you can't get yourself out. If you have a good count, 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, 3-1 counts, you can't swing at a pitch and pop it up to the pitcher or hit it in foul territory or weakly ground out to the pitcher. No. On those type of counts, you're in the driver's seat. You need to look for a pitch to drive, and you need to look for a pitch to, to you know, get a good barrel on and, and you know, get a single or, or a base hit somewhere and, and not swing at a 1-0 or 2-0 curveball or rise ball or changeup or whatever. If they paint the corner on a 2-0 or 3-1 pitch, then you tip your cap to them and you move on to the next pitch. You don't swing because, oh, it's going to be called a strike, so I have to swing. No, you only have to swing when there's two strikes. And he sw- so he swings at a bad pitch, pops it up to left field, and then it gets better because we, in softball, my team that I, co- that I help coach, we, we have difficulty running the bases, right? Like most, like most teams do. Running the bases is probably the hardest thing. It's hard because... It's almost one of those things you can't teach. You need to have those instincts um, and reading balls and wh- when it's going to be down or when it's going to be caught and when to go to the base, when to tag up, all that sort of stuff, right? So it can be difficult, but we're also not professionals, okay? And you're taught from the time you're a kid, and I say it all the time in practice, you don't make the first or the third out at third base. Classic example, the Yankees. In a game that I need for a parlay to hit two, to win $204, okay, Stanton pops up, great. Gio Urshela, who's produced their only run, comes on, and he laces a ball to down the line in left field. Not into, not to the wall. It's just down the line. And what does uh, Aaron Judge try to do? Aaron Judge, as one run scores on the Urshela hit, um, DJ LeMayhew is just coming around across the plate, and Aaron Judge tried to go first to third on a ball in front of him, and he gets thrown out. Home plate umpire says the tag out was before DJ LeMayhew crossed home plate. The second run does not count. That would have made it four to three with the Yankees still batting, Aaron Judge on second, so tying run with one out would have been, or excuse me, with two outs would have been on second base. And instead, Judge makes a critical mistake to make the third out at third base. It was absolutely agonizing to watch that. And then the scene got even crazier because Aaron Boone, they were reviewing the play to see if they were going to challenge it or not, which, again, this drives me bananas, okay? You're in the seventh or eighth inning, whatever it was at this point, and... This is a crucial play. It's a bang-bang play, so the umpire calls him at, um, says he did not score before the tag out at third, right? Okay, why is Aaron Judge in the dugout in a potential, uh, that that run potentially puts them uh, down one, and the tying run, uh, well, that would have given them, made it 4-3 and given them a fighting chance. 
going into the ninth inning or bottom eight. And Aaron Judge is sitting there waiting for his, you know, bench coach or whatever to hear from the replay booth on whether to challenge challenge the play. I mean, it's a no-brainer. You're in the seventh or eighth inning. You have to challenge that play. It doesn't matter if you're wrong. Just challenge it. Well, apparently there's a 20-second running clock on 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 uh, challenges, but uh, I've never seen anybody call it before, and it's probably something that they that they let slide if you take a little longer. So Aaron Boone hears the umpire like say something, and then he he goes to the you know he he um, hand gestures to the ears like put you know I want to challenge it, and the umpire says no, you can't challenge. You took too long. Boone is fired up. He runs out there. He's cursing in, at the home plate umpire saying you never even bleep and looked at me to let me know so I could signal and then Boone just promptly gets thrown out of the game and it was a horrible BS call because I've like I said I've never seen anybody call that and that's just one of those um, things that you you should never do but it was such a bang bang play that they probably would have stuck with the call on the field anyway but wow 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 um, and then of course the Yankees lost the game four to two just Terrible, terrible night for me. Okay, next up, let's talk a little bit about Vlad Guerrero Jr. He had himself a night on Tuesday, hitting three home runs, including two off Max Scherzer and a third inning grand slam to end, mind you, uh, Max Scherzer's 19 inning scoreless streak and lead the Blue Jays to a 9-5 win. Uh, Blue Jays are a good team. They have some serious power bats. Uh, Vlad Sr. also did homer off Scherzer in 2010 and 11. So Ivan Nova and Max Scherzer, this is a nice trivia question. Only two quarterbacks to give up home runs to both father and son, uh, Vlad Sr. and Vlad Jr. Okay. Um, But one thing Vlad Sr. never did was hit three home runs in one game, surprisingly enough. He could hit the ball off, uh, off his shoestrings, but he couldn't hit three in one game. Okay, on Tuesday... The NCAA Board of Governors voted unanimously to extend Mark Emmert, President Mark Emmert, through December 31st, 2025. If you're scratching your head, I'm right there along with you. Emmert has been president of the NCAA since 2010. Jesus, that's the year I graduated high school. Following uh, high-ranking roles at Washington, LSU, Connecticut, and Montana State. Listen to this. Emmert is paid a base salary of $2.7 million. Oh, my God. And I guess he was linked to the open presidency role at LSU, so the board felt they had to act swiftly and give him a contract extension. Super bizarre. Um, His previous contract ran through 2023, so I really don't think that there was a need for this. Um, And according to The Athletic, which I subscribe to, um, I got that one do- for $1 a month for a year. I will not pay the absorbent amount of money or exorbitant amount that they're asking for on a regular basis, but I do enjoy the athletic. But according to them, several high-ranking administrators were genuinely shocked by this announcement, as was I. Uh, perhaps the board was worried no one else would take this job. I mean, it's a tough one. I don't know who would want it, but it pays $2.7 million. I'm sure you could fill the role. Um, it's also worth noting how bizarre the press release was. So the NCAA mentioned the extension as the fourth topic in a Tuesday night news release 
listed under the subhead of other business. That doesn't exactly scream excitement. Um, because really, who likes Mark Emmert anyway? Um, this is the guy that had been on the wrong side of issues like name, image, and likeness and playing college players. And the debacle that was the women's NCAA tournament this season where pictures leaked of the inequality in equipment uh, in equipment facilities and, and workout rooms, as well as having to um, you know navigate the pandemic, which nobody in a high-ranking position that had to make decisions throughout the pandemic um, came out on top. This hurt everybody. So, yeah, I cannot believe they, they re-signed this, this jack wagon or this uh, D-nozzle, as the Michael K. Show likes to call it. All right, let's quickly talk the Washington uh, Wizards. They are sneaking up the re- uh, up the standings in the East, currently in 10th, which would get them in that play-in uh, game or tournament, whatever it is. Um, they have gone 9-1 over their last 10, and Russell Westbrook is on a tear, okay? Um, 13, uh, 30th triple-double of the season, excuse me, and this was his 13th triple-double of the month, which is the most in a calendar month by any player in NBA history. And this they did this against the Lakers, and it was it was um it was Dunk City and it was Rui Hachimura just abso-freaking-lutely destroying, and I mean destroying Anthony Davis. And hold on. Aaron Judge just hit a grand slam. I believe this is his second home run of the game. Um, it is eight nothing. Well, I don't. I think it's his second home run of the game. Hold on. Yeah, Aaron Judge hit a ball thirty minutes ago, a hundred and eleven miles per hour off the batter's eye. You're going to want to see it. And then he just hit a grand slam. So it's only the fourth inning, and Judge has two home runs. Maybe the Yankees are finally starting to turn things around. But back to basketball. Listen to this. Staples. Goodness, Rui Hachimura against Anthony Davis, who got the worst of that in more ways than one. Wow, my goodness gracious. Rui in transition, AD coming at him. My goodness, he had nothing for him. Rui. Wow. Wow is right. Um, just an absolute monster jam. There was another uh, huge dunk in this game. Um, I forget who it was by. I don't follow, of course, the um, the Wizards like that. But early on in the season, I had high hopes for the Wizards, and f- maybe finally they're starting to put these thing this thing together with Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. So that's cool. Um, and now finally, the moment we've all been waiting for. It's episode one thirty seven, and we're almost about thirty nine minutes in. Um, to this show, it's time to talk NFL draft, baby. Um, I, I need to cue the NFL draft music. Like that's a staple. Uh, I can't believe I don't have it. Let's see. Let me try to on the fly. Get this. Let's see. Um, shoot. Hold on. Sorry. Come on. Maybe this? 
There it is. Perfect, perfect, perfect. The pick is in. And yes, the pick was in at number one. Of course, Roger Goodell getting a lot of boos. Here it was, pick number one last night. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, Clemson. And so the inevitable has finally become reality. Okay, we don't need to listen to that whole thing. You have, obviously, Trevor Lawrence going number one shocker. He was not there to see, um, to shake Roger Goodell's hand and dap him up and hug him or whatever. But the number two pick was there, and he was the first that hugged Roger Goodell, or the, you know, obviously because he was the only one, the first one there um, that got to go on stage. That would be the New York Jets pick at number two. I guess he's got to be my guy now. Zach Wilson, quarterback out of BYU. With no surprise here. With the second pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. And as you can see, Zach Wilson is here. And on top of his already elite quarterback hair, he puts a New York Jets take flight cap on his lid. And... Is this young man the savior that the Jets organization and their fans have been searching for since Broadway Joe Namath? We've heard about Broadway Joe and then Broadway Mark Samilton on Broadway. Now it is Zach's Fifth Avenue in New York City. Daniel, take the floor. So Zach's Fifth Avenue, Brand that one right now. Uh, look, this is a player that brings a lot of energy, some confidence, borderline cockiness, which is what the Jets actually love about him in terms of what he brings. New York is going to fall in love with this kid. Yeah, so say what you will. I've been saying that um, this pick, I, I, I'm not liking it so much, but, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't know anymore what to think. Um, so... It is what it is, um, but that's the pick the Jets get. Uh, Zach Wilson, and he he had some serious excitement. He walked out. He was uh, high five and Jets fans. He hugged Goodell real real tightly. And now that you know, let the nicknames you know run wild. They're calling him uh, you know Zach's Fifth Avenue because ha ha Zach's Fifth Avenue. You know the luxury uh, store you know, the luxury brand, okay, that sells, you know, purses and friggin', you know, high-end luxury women's apparel and and whatnot, I guess, whatever. We all know what Saks Fifth Avenue is. So that's, if you didn't understand the reference, they're saying Zach's Fifth Avenue because Saks Fifth Avenue. Okay, so anyway, um, not going to harp on that. But um, yeah, that's the pick. I'm okay with it for now because obviously we all knew with the trade of Sam Darnold, that's who they were getting. Quick note, uh, first and second picks were locked and loaded, right? And I, if you again, if you follow me on Twitter, I was tweeting my picks and what I thought how this was going to shake out the top five. I had, obviously, these two going first and second. At three, I had been saying Mac Jones for quite a while. They skipped Fields Pro Day to go see Mac Jones. All indications said Mac Jones, Mac Jones, Mac Jones. Well, hours before the draft, what happens? 
a guy from North Dakota State in Trey Lance, all of a sudden, the odds move ever in his favor on all the betting sites. So in that moment, people are texting me. My brother's calling me. I'm telling him that all indicators were that Mac Jones is going three. I'm not falling for that because all of a sudden, this guy, Lance, is now the betting favorite. So somebody clearly knows something. Something was leaked. He's going number three, not Mac Jones. And uh, I was texting with another buddy. There's a bunch of, you know, draft day specials and bets because, of course, they're trying to reel in the suckers. And I could have gone. There was a good bet that a lot of people were falling for. Penny Sewell under six and a half. So will he be drafted, you know, below seven, you know, one through seven? Okay. Excuse me. He had to go one through six. Okay. Under six and a half. And it was almost even money. And then the other one a lot of people fell for was Greg Newsom under 24 and a half. My friend uh, Priyank, who's been on the show, he was so dead set and adamant, adamant that Greg Newsom was going to go no worse than 23 to the New York Jets. It was under 24 and a half. And to be quite, quite truthful, I, I was thinking about betting it, and like that day as the day wore on, I go to check, and it was now under 23 and a half. The odds got worse. So at that point, what I really should have done is realized, okay, wait a second. Not only should I not bet this, I should bet the over. So I was, listen, this took a lot of restraint not to bet this draft, but a lot of suckers and noobs fell for the trap. My brother fell for the trap, took an odds boost, and uh, he needed, you know, Mac Jones to go in the top five, and he didn't. Uh, he fell down. So I, I commend myself for not falling for the trap that was the draft day uh, NFL draft, um, you know, bets. And I didn't lose any money. I also didn't win any money. So I was satisfied with that because I would have lost. Okay, so I had the first three, but I also knew that, uh, I had Mac Jones at three, but then I, I knew in my gut that when those odds changed, okay, Lance is going three. I was locked and loaded. I tweeted it. I'm not making this up. Go back, read my tweets. I had Kyle Pitts four to Atlanta, which, I mean, come on. It's no real big secret. For months, that's who people said they were taking. He's a crazy, excuse me, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle type, uh, Darren Waller they compare him to. He's that type of guy. So Pitts to uh, four to Atlanta was, you know, that was foreseen in my opinion. And then five, this was an interesting one as well. Cincinnati, everybody says, okay, you just got your quarterback killed because you have no O-line, so you got to go Penny Sewell. Well, I knew for a while that through the grapevine, Joe Burrow wanted his college uh, buddy in Jamar Chase, the wide receiver from LSU because they played together. And I know in this day and age, the quarterback wants, the quarterback gets what the quarterback wants, okay? And that's exactly what happened. Everybody said, no, no, they've got to go O-line. They're going to take Sewell. They're going to take Sewell. Well, guess what? Five to Cincinnati, Jamar Chase. It was not Penny Sewell. And I said, son of a gun. It was. I knew it in my gut that they weren't taking him. Now you have Miami. They just get rid of Eric Flowers. They have the opening on the O-line. They got to take him, right? This is the last stop that he could go or you bust this bet under seven or under six and a half. Well, guess what? Miami uh, does not take Penny Sewell. They took 
Jalen Waddle from Alabama, the wide receiver, of course. Um, in my opinion, the Robin to Devontae Smith Batman um, because he didn't play a whole lot. He, he dealt with that injury um, early on in the season that he broke his ankle or whatever he did to it. Um, and then he came on in the college football playoff, played sparingly. Um, but he goes ahead of Devontae Smith, who won the Heisman, which I think is just ridiculous. Devontae Smith was my favorite player in this draft, and I'm shocked that that's who Miami took because uh, they needed the O-line help. And then, of course, Penny Sewell does go to number seven, which at, uh, excuse me, yeah, Penny Sewell, he gets drafted seventh offensive tackle, of course, from Oregon, and he goes to the Lions. Um, So good pickup by the Lions. Guy fell to him. considerably the best offensive lineman tackle in this draft. Jets were rumored to be taking him at number two if they kept Sam Darnold. So, uh, yeah, it's a good pick there. And um, let's see. The Panthers, they were next up at number eight, okay? And after trading for Sam Darnold, of course, they were now out of the quarterback mix. So at number eight, they go with what was a little bit of a surprise at this point. Um, They took J.C. Horn the corner out of South Carolina over Patrick Sertan, who many felt was the best corner in this draft. And one of my buddies told me um, that corner is the one position. It's the um, easiest position to pick a guy in the first round that isn't a bust. And that is corner. And that's because it's the hardest position on the field. You're probably the most athletic on the field a hardest position besides quarterback, of course, and they have to do their due diligence on on cornerbacks. And, you know, they go with J.C. Horn out of South Carolina, of course, son of Joe Horn, a former NFLer, okay? So, it you know, obviously he's got game. Um, and then come right back, number nine um, goes at Bama's Patrick Sertan, and he goes to the Denver Broncos, who... My buddy Nick, obviously a huge Broncos fan, he wanted them to take a quarterback, take Justin Fields, but they just traded for Teddy Bridgewater. So, of course, we knew they weren't going to do that. And then rounding out the top 10 was the Cowboys, or was it? No, it was not. We had our first trade, uh, Cowboys trading back two spots with, guess guess who? The Philadelphia Eagles. So please somebody tell me why you would trade with a division rival so that team could move up two spots. Well, guess what? They did. Eagles move up two spots, and they take the guy that I wanted desperately, and that was Devontae Smith, your Heisman Trophy winner. And wow, what a pick, in my opinion, by the Eagles. Granted, they still don't have a quarterback. Um, I thought trading up here they might go quarterback, but in fact, they do not. They take Jalen Rager last year, um, which is another sort of speedster type of wide receiver, and now they take Devontae Smith. Um, they might have looked at it like this, that this um, is the best you know, player in the draft, and they were going to get him no matter what. They didn't want him. And many said it was because the Giants picked next. Expectations were the Giants were going to take um, Devontae Smith. So... 
Eagles get Devontae Smith. Cowboys move back and, you know, get a third-round pick or whatever they got out of it. Um, some some nuggets, some tidbits, some notes on this first round, okay? Um, this was just the third draft in history with quarterbacks going 1-2-3, joining 1971 when you had Jim Plunkett, Archie Manning, and Dan Pastorini, and then 1999 when you had uh, Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, and Achilles Smith. Five quarterbacks went in the top 15. The Bears, they did trade up to number 11 because the Giants ended up at that point, okay, Devontae Smith out of the picture. They said, okay, we can drop down. They got a huge haul. They got a first rounder for next year. Bears trade up at 11 and they take Justin Fields. My brother redeemed himself because he took the odds boost for the Bears to draft a quarterback, 150 bucks on that. And then, of course, just fell right in Bill Belichick's lap, none other than Mac Jones at number 15. Um, only once before have five quarterbacks gone off the board faster, and that was when uh, that was uh, in excuse me twelve picks in nineteen ninety nine. And Mac Jones is the first quarterback the Patriots have taken under Belichick, who has now selected seven players from Bama since Nick Saban became head coach. And I think they took another one here in the second round, so make that eight. Just ridiculous. And then I'll give you some more, um, some other picks. The My New York Jets, uh, excuse me, let me find this. Um, my New York Jets, they traded. So first of all, let me say something about this draft. Friggin' ridiculous. The antics, every pick took 15, 20 minutes. Goodell comes out, then he has his, his, uh, his recliner or his sofa thing from his chair from his basement and there were fans sitting in it that he was greeting and and then making picks and it was just overblown and it was stuffy and I just wanted the picks and it was taking forever. Thankfully, my New York Jets traded up to number 14 from 23 so I could just go to bed after that. I didn't stay up. I stayed up till maybe 11.15 and um, 11.20 and I saw some of the uh, like 20th pick, um, but I missed the rest of that. Um, but I was happy to get the Jets picks out of the way. They trade up with the Vikings to number 14, and they took uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive tackle out of USC. It was a great pickup for the Jets. They needed that. So um, I think he's going to slide over to left guard. So now you have Makai Becton at left tackle and um, you know Vera Tucker at left guard. So that's going to be a nice addition. And um, I liked what they just did here in to open up the second round um, where they got uh, Elijah Moore, an all-pro out of Ole Miss. Ole Miss produces wide receivers. We've seen it. Um, A.J. Brown, we've seen it. Um, D.K. Metcalf, they have been producing uh, big-time wide receivers. Of course, he's not... He doesn't have the size of those two guys, but he is a speedster 5'9 slot guy. I mean, this kid is good. And the Jets taking three first round, uh, excuse me, three offensive players with their first three picks. You could already feel it in the air that this is a uh, different regime running the show. Um, look at this. They are, uh, it is the first instance in the common draft era that the Jets drafted a quarterback and a wide receiver within the first two rounds of the same draft. Remember for like under Rex Ryan and like after that for like nine straight years, they just drafted defense, 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 every first round pick. It was a joke. And then finally they took Sam Darnold and whatnot. 
but uh, things are starting to look on the up and up. Um, if they didn't get a wide receiver with that pick, I would have been totally A-OK with them taking my guy, um, the North Carolina running back, okay, because um, I think also he's a stud. He went one pick after that as the uh, Denver Broncos traded up to that third pick, and they take Javante Williams because the Jets, I feel like they got Tevin Coleman, but they really need another future uh, running back there. But I'm OK with what they've been doing so far. Uh, one quick note, only three trades in the first round of the draft yesterday, and second round started, you had a trade at the third pick, and then just trade from at the fourth pick, you had a trade at the sixth pick, a trade at the seventh pick, I mean, just trade at the tenth pick, just trades, 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 trades. Now, I mentioned the Giants, they did trade back at, from 11, and they dropped all the way down to, what was it, um, 19, uh, 20. They traded back to 19, and they took wide receiver Kadarius Toney, um, which many people were a little speculative on. Um, he had, like, maybe a third-round grade. So I that was a little uh, interesting why they would go wide receiver there. Um, they got John Ross. They got Kenny Galladay. I mean, They've got guys there. They've got weapons. So a little, little interesting there. And then I woke up this morning to see the two running backs go back-to-back. Najee Harris going to the Steelers. So great. They've got another generational-type uh, running back. They just churn them out there in Pittsburgh. And then right back at 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars, or should I call them the Jacksonville Clemsons, right? Um, they go Trevor Lawrence and then his running mate, Travis Etienne, who I was dying for the Jets to draft with their second, you know, first pick in the second round. Um, unfortunately, he didn't even fall to them. And then the suckers that fell for the Greg Newsom under 24 and a half, he went to 26 to the Browns. That, of course, being the cornerback out of Northwestern. And um, let's see, rounding out the last couple picks, the um, the Bucks they took Joe Tyler. Uh, Tryon, uh, the the edge rusher from um, Washington, um, the wide receiver Rashad Bateman. He went uh, the guy out of Minnesota. He went to the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's a good pick. Uh, Newsom's a good pick too to the Browns. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Caleb Farley. He was the corner. There's some question marks about his health. He went 22 to the uh, Titans. The Colts got Quiddy Payne. Um, but yeah, it was just, um, it, overall it was, you know, it was good that the draft was back and in person, but it, it took forever and, and, uh, Goodell just getting up there trying to play this villainous role. And he just, he, he's so blah and it doesn't come naturally. And, um, yeah, it was just not good. Um, but the second and third rounds, they're fully underway right now. We've got the rest of it going tomorrow. I won't be able to watch it, which I normally sit there on Saturday and just, just watch and watch and watch. But no, uh, we're playing softball games tomorrow, doubleheader in PA. So hopefully we get a couple wins and my Jets finish up and complete the draft. Because the Jets, being that they traded up to 14, they only had the one pick tonight, no second or third round picks. So they'll be back at it in the fourth round tomorrow. And uh, we'll see. Um, I have the draft on in the background behind me. I don't really know what's going on. Um, Kyle Trask still on the board, Davis Mills, Stanford quarter quarterback still on, you know, the board. Um, I've got to pay attention to my fantasy basketball playoffs because my God, um, I'm in the semis winning. 
I was winning nine to two. I'm now winning eight to three, which is still a sizable lead. Got a couple days. Got to close this out. Unfortunately, didn't have Kevin Durant tonight. They're resting him after a monster game. Uh, this is not good. Joe Harris has two points. It's almost halftime. Enos Cantor has two points. It's almost halftime. What are we doing, guys? John Collins only has 11 and four in the fourth quarter, but two blocks. Cantor with one. That's good. Um, yeah, it's going to be a long night. This guy's going to make a little bit of a push and a comeback after me. Um, and by the end of the night, he's probably going to get catch up maybe 6 5, 7 4. If it stays 7 4, I'm okay because I have. You know, a few more players remaining than him, I think. Uh, We'll see how this thing shakes out. But that was the first round, and second round is going on right now. There weren't a whole lot of surprises. Like I said, not too many... not too many trades in the first round, just the three. But I'm really loving what my New York Jets are doing. Um, it's it's this fun time of the year. Uh, what else? There's maybe a couple of stats I wanted to throw out there. Hold on. Um, let me see here. Oh, yeah. Like I said, uh, in regard to the uh, three trades, that was the second fewest first round trades since the NFL adopted a three-day draft in 2010. Only the 2015 draft had fewer day one trades, and that day there were only two. Oh, breaking news, LeBron James to return uh, to the king, uh, excuse me, LeBron is returning versus the Kings on Friday. Does that mean tonight or next? That has to be mean tonight, okay. Um. Oh yeah, uh, the 49ers. Here's a good one uh, with Trey Lance. They took Trey Lance at third. Okay, Lance had 318 pass attempts at North Dakota State. That is the fewest college passes thrown by any first round quarterback in the last 50 years. So yeah, wow, um, wow. I I have no words. I have no words. Um. So, yeah, quite shocking. Uh, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up. I mean, like I said, NBA's on right now. This draft is going. Um, okay, Alabama had eight players selected in the first two rounds. It's the most by any school in the common draft era since 1967. Defensive tackle Christian Barmore, I think I mentioned his name before, is the 12th player drafted by Belichick from a Nick Saban college team, the most by any such head coach combo in the common draft era. It's incredible. Um, There were most players taken in the first two rounds from a single school in the common draft era. uh, 2021 Alabama, eight players drafted this draft. Guess what? Last year they had seven. So they're, they're there in the mix every freaking year. Um, so yeah. Wow. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm not going to drag this out much longer. Last little bit is on this date in sports, April 30th, 1976, Muhammad Ali beats Jimmy young in 15 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. Okay. Um, that's pretty much going to wrap it up guys. Just real quick. want to give one quick, uh, shout out to my boy, Robert Frank, six, one, five, finally back home out of the hospital it looks like i've been watching him um post more stuff on the internet they just released a um 
a podcast episode last night in which he was finally there in person. He's starting to get his weight back up into the 150, so that's good. He's able to eat and gain weight once again. He's got a long road to recovery still. They've got a couple more surgeries he's got to do to uh, you know, stop the bleeding from his rectum and whatnot. But, man, it's really good to hear uh, he's starting to do well, and I'm pulling for him, and I wish him the best of luck. And if you don't follow him, um, I highly suggest you do so on all social media platforms because he's hilarious and um, the podcast is hilarious as well. So um, I, you know, I look forward to to seeing him back, you know, in the gym one day uh, making videos. So that should be exciting. Uh, with that being said, guys, enjoy the weekend. It's supposed to be uh, decent weather. It's been really windy here today, like twenty mile an hour winds tomorrow, about fifteen. But we're getting there. Spring is slowly turning into summer. About a month and a half left of school for all of you kids that are still in school, working in schools as I do. Um, we're at that home stretch, you know, fourth quarter, eighth, seventh inning stretch, if you will. Um, so, yeah, enjoy the weekend, guys. Uh, have fun. Especially enjoy this NFL draft over the next couple of days. And um, I'm going to finish this up, edit it, get it up and posted while I watch the rest of this draft tonight and get jump in the shower, get rested, and ready to go for our softball games tomorrow, which hopefully we get a couple wins. But with that being said, guys, you're listening to This weekend Sports, episode number 137. I am the Pody, signing off.